Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 243 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is a program and service delivery consultant with an extensive background in IT infrastructure. He holds a first-class computer science degree from Nottingham University, and he started his career working on mainframe systems at Norwich Union. He is also a professional coach, helping people to become happier and more successful in what they do. So welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, Stephen Walston. Hey, Phil. Hi. Stephen, can you maybe give us a bit of an insight into how you came about deciding that computer science was the thing you wanted to do and why you took a degree in it? I think it was two things. Um, I mean, first of all, when I was a boy, bearing in mind, you know, we're talking about the 1970s here, so very much pre the internet age, and I used to love science fiction programs. I used to love things like Star Trek, and I think that made me intrigued by things like computers. And then for my 13th birthday, I, I beg your pardon, not birthday, it was Christmas, um, we got a family ZX81 with a whole one kilobyte of memory. And <laughs> yeah. when I figured out that, that it didn't understand me when I typed in things like I had Weetabix for my breakfast, uh, and it actually wanted more concrete instructions than that, I, I kind of figured out how it worked. I bought magazines. I guess I just became good at it. And I thought, well, let's do more of what I'm good at. Yeah, that's, that's often the way, isn't it? Um, presumably, the ZX81 was the starting point, and, and home computers were something that you became more interested in? Absolutely. I mean, from the ZX81, then the next grade up from that was the ZX Spectrum. And then, of course, in schools in the 80s, the, the standard thing was the BBC Micro. Now, the BBC Micro was terribly expensive for a family like ours, but there was a very similar product called the Acorn Electron. I remember getting into that. You know, and you kind of went through those those sort of streams. I mean, you had your your Sinclair fans like me, you had your Commodore fans like my mates. There was very poor compatibility between all these devices at the time, which is crazy when you think about it, but that's the way it was. But yeah, uh, yeah. very much so. Yes. And obviously that led to you deciding that that's what you wanted to do and applying for a course on a computer science degree. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. So, Stephen, can you share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be? My biggest career tip is to develop radical adaptability and what I call a positive direction finder. Because you know, early in my career, I thought IT was all about learning fixed knowledge and applying fixed knowledge. But what I've realized as my career has progressed is that not only does knowledge change, but you cannot fit the client's problem to your solution. You have to fit your solution to the client's problem. So anytime I go into a new organization, my first priority is to really calibrate where that organization is, You know how mature it is, how do they really work, uh, where are they right now, what are their real problems, what are their next steps. And that's my guide to how I serve them. You know, It's not that I come in with a textbook and just say, let's apply this textbook. You're really powerful communicators call that pacing and leading, you know, pacing where your client is uh, in order to lead them 
later. And this idea of a positive direction filter is just this idea. It's almost like a, a GPS in your head that's always sorting for what's the most constructive direction to move in now? What's the best thing to do next? Because you know what, what the IT industry really needs is people who can adapt to new problem environments and solve problems in those new problem environments. Yeah. And presumably you have to sort of make ongoing corrections to that course and direction because obviously businesses don't stand still there's continual change exactly it's all it's all about looking in a direction and doing constant course corrections because it's like peeling an onion you peel back one layer and then you find out what's next and that might require a course correction it's almost like having a a radar system where you're looking in and where, where are we going what's the next step how do i get there and how do i work around you know the obstacles and in many ways, that, that's the thing that they don't teach you in a computer science degree. You know, they, they teach you how to do the math, they teach you how to do the logic, they teach you about the electronics, they teach you about the programming, but they don't really teach you that that sort of radical cultural adaptability. And, and that's why it's one of my main career tips is to learn to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good point. And Stephen, can you share with us your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? My worst career moment was when I thought I'd made uh, a terrible mistake. Now, I was an operational planner at the time, uh, and one of my duties was to make sure that uh, we initiated a lengthy cost approval governance process for all of our renewing costs, which was an interesting thing, really, since we were generally contractually locked in to a lot of those renewing costs. So it kind of was a bit of a moot point whether some governance board liked the cost or not. But nevertheless, we had to initiate that that cost approval governance. And I was relatively new in the role, and I thought I had a complete schedule of renewing costs, but it turns out there was something missing from that, and it was something quite big. Now, it didn't actually turn out to be a real problem, because, of course, the purchase orders were known to the finance team and they were accruing for the cost correctly. You know, it's just that I didn't you know, get to trigger the governance in time because it wasn't on my schedule of renewing cost. And I have to say that, that, that I thought I'd made the worst mistake in the world. You know, I just wanted the, the ground to open up and swallow me. But as it turns out, like I say, it wasn't a real problem. But, you know, I certainly felt very bad about that. And one of the things that it taught me is... At the same time of being confident in your own work, I think you must be confident in your own work, but at the same time, you must also be ferreting around for where are the possible gaps? Where where are the possible errors? Where are the possible mistakes? Where is it that something might have been missed here? So you kind of have to become a detective for possible mistakes, not just in your own work, but in the work that you've inherited from predecessors. So if there is an error somewhere, you're going to find it before it finds you. Do you think that's more likely to occur in sort of larger or corporate organizations than maybe smaller, closely run teams? Well, I mean, larger corporations definitely have a bigger problem, but they also tend to have bigger solutions. You know, large organizations, as well as having the problem of having more to manage, they also have the benefit of generally being better organized and having more resources. So I don't think it's necessarily going to be a worse problem in larger organizations, you know, because you, you do have those balancing size, the size of the problem and, and, and the uh, and the amount of organizational resources you've got to solve that problem. You know, what happens with some of the smaller companies is it's a smaller problem, yes, but they no, don't necessarily have the organization and the resources that the big companies have either. So I think you can probably 
find a problem like that in any size of organization. But certainly the bigger organizations will have more information to ferret through. You've obviously learned from that experience. And and in terms of how you approach it now, you mentioned obviously ferreting around. What do you specifically do? Is there anything you, you think every time you go into an organization, I need to make sure I do X, Y, and Z? to ensure that I've, I've got the, the least or sort of minimum chance of something like that happening again? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I go into a new organization, my first priority is to figure out where are we starting from and from there to move on to what's the logical next step in this journey. But yeah, it, it is very much a case of looking at what's there. And when I mentioned earlier about having a, like a positive direction finder, which is this this habit of constantly asking, what's the most constructive path from here, wherever here is? The other direction finder I find useful is, you know, what might be missing here? What might not be getting covered? What, where might the gap be? So I'm kind of doing both of those things at the same time. I'm uh, and it, it is an interesting balance because, as I mentioned before, I think it's important to have confidence in your own work. But at the same time, I think you also have to be, you also have to act a little bit like your own auditor, you know, uh, and go and looking for, for those gaps, those possible errors. And that's, again, you know, it's one of the things that I think is very important to do when you move into a new organization is, is have that positive direction finder, but also be looking for where is the possible gap, where is the possible error in, in what's happening right now. And moving away from your worst moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? There's two I'd like to cover, actually. One is a technical one and one is a non-technical one. On the technical side, I was very fortunate that in the years that I was doing my computer science degree, academia was very much on Unix and Solaris-type operating systems. So when I went out into industry and found that it was still predominantly mainframe-based, I had to adapt to that. But a lot of these mainframe-based shops were beginning to invest in Unix systems. And because I'd had that experience in academia, I was well-placed in Norwich Union to take a leading role in systems management of uh, the Unix systems. And I got the opportunity to develop some really quite clever systems management software for use in-house. This is when the external vendors were still catching up. Uh, and Unix systems in industry were really quite small. Obviously, as they got bigger and bigger and bigger, we needed the industrial solutions. But I got the opportunity to develop you know, really quite sophisticated backup and recovery systems, uh, monitoring and alerting systems, and, uh, and things like that. So that was one highlight for me, is to be there to be able to develop that kind of systems management while that was still relatively young. And on a non-technical level, uh, I think my highlight was working on infrastructure cost reduction programs where we would pull in all the information about what contracts we've got and what those contracts were for, all the software we're paying for and what that software is for, and looking for infrastructure consolidation opportunities, looking for software rationalization opportunities. I think that was another highlight for me. And you know, the ability to drive out really significant amounts of cost with infrastructure means, that was a really exciting thing to be involved with. Yeah, I mean, I'm just just thinking sort of while you were talking there that obviously things have moved on in terms of infrastructure in particular mm. um, with data centers and, and obviously the cloud. Um, presumably that's probably just as important now as when you were, you were doing it then. Well, absolutely. I mean, with every evolution 
and revolution in technology. We solve some problems and create some new ones, and that's always been the way. And so to some extent, the question is, uh, what is the new IT problem rather than what is the old IT problem? Now, for example, with uh, the modern ways of working in IT, cost management is uh, potentially a bigger problem than it was before because it's so easy to let resource use utilization get out of hand. Uh, so, you know, one of the disciplines right now is how do we make sure we're properly managing our cloud resources so that we're not taking unnecessary bills, for example, yep. uh, because you kind of have to balance this dynamism and this auto scaling with the fact that there is still a budget to meet. You know, so like I said, with every evolution and revolution, there, there's, we solve some of the old problems and we create some new problems and they're the ones we need to focus on. And Stephen, what excites you about the future of the industry and careers in IT? Well, it's changing so radically. I mean, the industry today is unrecognizable to the industry of 20 years ago. And that's accelerating. That's not slowing down. So in 10 years' time, people working in IT will look back at where we are now, and it will be unrecognizable. Now, that, that's both exciting and scary at the same time. It's exciting because... It means that, that there's always going to be new problems for IT personnel to get involved with solving. And it also means that we're going to be solving some of the, the older problems that we have today. Uh, but it's also scary in, 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 the, in the sense that you've got to keep up with this. And that means you know staying in the game. It means constantly taking on new work uh, and learning new things. And obviously, for those coming into the industry quite fresh, there presumably the, the opportunity is there as well because there there is so much change and diversity in what they can do. Well, exactly, and and this is why, to some extent, whilst technical skills are obviously incredibly important, I would never play that down. Technical skills are constantly changing, and this is why my creative right at the beginning of this, which is to develop adaptability and that positive direction finder is because we are constantly going to meet new challenges in, in the IT industry. Uh, I mean, certainly the information I learned in my degree is obsolete now. I mean, I learned how to write formal system specifications in Z, right? Who does that anymore? Nobody does that anymore. So the technology and the way we do the technical side of, of the job is constantly changing. But what is constant is that need to have that radical adaptability and that positive direction finder and the ability to, to drop into any commercial environment and be able to figure out, okay, what's going on here? What's the problem that needs to be solved here? And how does this place work? That's what we need. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Sure. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? As I mentioned before, uh, you know, I, I grew up with things like Star Trek and the ZX81. You know, that's what got me to do my computer science degree. And I think having chosen the computer science degree, it was, it was a natural career choice to make. Again, it was simply because I was good in and around computing and I wanted to do more of it. What is the best career advice you've ever received? The best career advice I ever received is that we are always creating our career every day. You know, our career wasn't locked and loaded by some decision we made 10 years ago. And what that points at is that every single day we have the opportunity to do a course correction if we think that we need a course correction. Yes. And what is the worst career advice you've ever received? 
The worst career advice I ever received came from a fear-based story. And there are a lot of fear-based stories in, in any industry. And that fear-based story was getting one company, one big, rich, powerful company, and stay there. Now, that, that was terrible advice because, for one thing, things change too quickly. And for another, you cannot develop that ability of adaptability if you never experience changes in culture. If you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? To be honest, the only way I can answer that is to say, is to just say, show up the best way you know how to show up. The one thing I would definitely do differently to when I first started is that I was very introverted when I first started. There's nothing, nothing wrong with being introverted, but uh, one of the consequences of that is I didn't do enough early in my career to, to make connections with people. So the one thing I would do differently is make more connections. I think there's obviously greater opportunity now to do that as well, particularly with things like social media. Yes, of uh, course. Meetups, conferences, all sorts of things that just didn't exist. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Uh, communication skills. Um, I mean, some of us are managers, some of us are finance people, some of us are HR people, some of us are coders. But what we all are is communicators and I find that if you have really good communication skills, you can work in many more environments and solve many more problems and work with many more people. What do you do to keep your own career energized? Well, I am now a a contractor, so I am experiencing new environments on a semi-regular basis. Uh, And I think that's the main way that I do it, that the fact that I got out of that single company culture and have to drop into new environments on a regular basis and find out, you know, what's the problem to solve here. That's how I stay energized, by by just keep moving into new environments. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? Uh, Well, as you mentioned, I do coach. Uh, I have coached on a part-time basis alongside my IT career for uh, 15 years now and and when I have gaps between contracts uh, then I do my best to fill that gap time with with more coaching work and I think coaching is a very powerful and useful resource for people and, and I think people don't really appreciate how powerful it is I mean a lot of my abilities I would say I've grown in the partnership with a coach not necessarily on a training course so that's one thing that I do and in terms of uh, relaxation I love music from the movies so I'm always you know, uh, especially from a from a certain era, from the sixties and the seventies. So you know, like old James Bond soundtrack albums, and yes, you know, all that kind of stuff. That, that's the way I love to relax. Sure, you obviously mentioned Star Trek a couple of times as well. So presumably, sci-fi is something you're quite keen on. It, it is, it is. But although I have to say, my heart is really still in in that kind of era. I, I don't really engage with a lot of new television, to be honest. Even though television is more sophisticated than it's ever been, and I think that's really down to two things. Number one is time. I have much less time for television than I ever had uh, before. And I think the other thing is is just that I just love those older styles. I just love that, that sort of 60s and 70s science fiction aesthetic a lot more. Stephen, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? I would simply say, have confidence in your abilities. See, the, the industry perhaps this is something I shouldn't really say, but the industry is not as mature and as clockwork and turnkey as it pretends it is. 
you know, every time I move into a new organization, I don't find organizations running perfect ITIL or perfect Prince to if they're waterfall or perfect agile. And that is, in many respects, a wonderful thing because it means that, that there's plenty of opportunity for us to contribute. So I would say, you know, have confidence in your abilities. You know, don't worry that you might not know everything about everything. It's the skill and the dedication and the commitment to solving a client problem, which is what serves clients best. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? Well, uh, obviously, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, on, I'm Stephen Wolston. Uh, if you're interested in my coaching work, you can find me at theswcoaching.com. Yeah, they're the two best ways to, to connect. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you, Phil. Hi, Phil here again. Now, if you thought about being a guest on the show yourself, or you have somebody in mind that might be a good guest, please do let me know. You can reach me on Twitter, where I'm at PhilTechCareer, or you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can even contact me through the website, which is itcareerenergizer.com. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.